If you're up for it, I think it's time to talk about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Welcome, Abbaology Insiders. I'm Jake Stringer, your host and founder of the Abbaology Movement. The purpose of Abbaology is to transition people from judicial, legal, fear-based, and courtroom concepts of God into a loving, familial experience of Him. This is your home for free Abbaology content. Check out Abbaology.net for more including an eight-minute-long detailed month-by-month breakdown of our Insider Intensive, which is a six-month, one-subject-per-month Bible school taking place inside of a closed Facebook group that begins August 10th. I'm going to assume that you're hungry, that you're ready, and you don't want me to hold back. So let's journey from theology to Abbaology together. In the first month of the Bible school, we're going to be talking about Bible hacks. And one of those Bible hacks is historical relevance. What was going on historically during the time that these verses are being said, during the time Jesus is releasing the words he's releasing, the parables he's releasing? What was happening at that time in that culture and also covenantally? So we're going to keep a couple of those things in mind as we read the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Keyword, parable. Of course, like many of you, I was taught that this was about heaven and hell, but it is not about heaven and hell, and it is a parable. So I just want to apply a couple of those Bible hacks as we read this. Um, Hopefully this will set some of you free. It says there was a certain rich man in Luke chapter 16, 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, being clothed in purple and fine linen is our first clue that this rich man is talking about the Jewish leaders of that time. Purple is royalty and linen is royalty, priesthood. You get to verse 20, it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. This is hearkening back to the story of the Seraphonician woman who pleaded with Jesus that even the dogs, excuse me, um, get to eat some of the crumbs. Dogs meeting the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So in this verse, both Jew and Gentile, Lazarus is representing the Gentiles, the dogs, And this rich man is representing the Jewish people. Remember, this is a parable, and it's taking place as Jesus is announcing a covenantal transition from old covenant to new covenant. That's what he came to announce. He was the prophesied Messiah to deliver them out of the bondage of the old covenant and into the new covenant kingdom. That's what's happening at this time historically and covenantally. So, there was one event in which both Jew and Gentile died. Look at verse 22. The beggar died, Lazarus died, and also um, the rich man died. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, in the crucifixion, made the two 
Jew and Gentile, one new man. Okay, so there's already a picture of the crucifixion here. Jew and Gentile both die at the crucifixion, and the new creation resurrects, in which there's no Jew or Gentile, no bond nor free, no male nor female, no in and out, no us and them, no gay or straight, no saved or unsaved. Now we're preaching a little bit. I'm starting to get excited. It says, in Hades... See, look at this. I'm reading out of KJV, and it says hell should never have been translated hell. The word is Hades. If you have a literal Bible, for instance, a Young's literal Bible, it's going to say Hades. Hades is the realm of the dead. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Sheol, which is the Hebrew word that's translated hell, uh, I think, 20... uh, 41 times in the Old Testament and 13, uh, for, in the Old Testament, 41 times in a King James Bible. In the New Testament, Hades and Gehenna are translated hell 13 or 14 times, totaling 54. So this is a proper place. In no way does the, does the Greek word Hades equal being tormented forever after you die in a fire chamber which God is sustaining through some supernatural means. So that is a mistranslation. That is an example of a pre-existing way of looking at things being imposed upon the text. So get a Young's Literal Bible. You actually won't even find the word hell in a Young's Literal Bible because it's the, the words are not really translatable their proper words. Gehenna is a proper place outside of the southwest of Jerusalem. Um, and Hades was a proper place. It was just the realm of the dead. So we're translators were reading into the text things that aren't there because of their paradigm. So get a Young's Literal if you can. So both Jew and Gentile die in this story. Both Jew and Gentile died at the crucifixion. When the resurrection happened, now it's a new creation manifested in the earth, no Jew or Gentile. So it says, but Abraham said, or sorry, in verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So notice that the rich man cries to Father Abraham. This is a picture of how the trust of the Jewish people was in their natural bloodline, that went back to Father Abraham. In Romans chapter 9, Paul specifically mentions their bloodline to Abraham as one of the reasons they believed they were God's special righteous people and everybody else was left out. So there's all these little details in this. So once we break free from, from thinking this is about heaven and hell, we can actually start to pull out tons of revelation that Jesus is releasing in this parable. So he cries out not to Jesus, he cries out to Abraham, which is a declaration of where his trust was, which is where the Jewish people's trust was in their natural bloodline to Abraham. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you can't, 
neither can they pass to us that they would come from there. Then he said, I pray ye therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. So Abraham, in this Hades, um, Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Remember, those were the Jewish scriptures. Those were not Gentile scriptures. So they, he says, go and tell my five brethren. He's talking about the family of Jewish people. Go tell them. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if just one went unto them from the dead, they would repent or metanoia, change their mind. So he's saying, Abraham, surely if a man raised from the dead and went to my Jewish family to tell them the truth, they would change their mind. And look what he says, it's so powerful. And Abraham said unto him, If they wouldn't hear Moses or the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if one rises from the dead. So this parable, obviously this is a very short, uh, in the Bible school I get into uh, the gulf fixed and the uh, tormented in that flame uh, in more depth. But I want to just shift your mind about what this parable is talking about in this short episode of the podcast. And so Abraham says to this to this Jewish man who's in the realm of the dead, look, they didn't even listen to the law and the prophets. They're not even going to listen if someone raises from the dead. And we see this manifest in the book of Acts. After the crucifixion, the the corrupt, they weren't all corrupt, but the corrupt scribes and Pharisees and Jewish leaders, even after the crucifixion, would not move into the new covenant. That was what the apostles' assignment was, was to declare the truth of what Jesus had done so that people would move into the new covenant kingdom before the city of Jerusalem and its temple was destroyed because he didn't want anybody to perish, which now that's touching on eschatology, which is also another month in the Bible school. So working through this stuff, this is why I ordered the Bible school this way. Bible hacks and then a grace revelation, an old covenant, new covenant revelation, law and grace. And then we talk about eschatology because you can't really understand eschatology until you understand covenant. And then after that, we talk about hell because you can't understand hell until you understand eschatology, covenant and eschatology. And you can't understand original belonging until you understand Bible hacks, uh, one of which is the law of first mention. Uh, There's so much. So we go through this very strategically in the Bible school because it's a journey you have to go on of unlearning and relearning if you want it to stick. And I'm very passionate about this. I mean, everyone I know that is where we are now um, and continuing to go has, has really had to have this journey And so that's why I'm offering a six-month Bible school to take you through the journey and through the scriptures so that you can see these things. So even after the resurrection, 
They didn't listen to the law and the prophets, and they didn't even listen after Jesus rose from the dead. That's how powerful their tradition was. The traditions of man make the Word of God, capital W, Logos, that's talking about Jesus, make Jesus of no effect. So I have mercy on those first century Jewish people. They had 1,500 years of family tradition in that mosaic temple-based, sacrifice-based covenant. So I see that it was difficult for them to move forward with Jesus. But Jesus' heart was for none of them to perish with that temple in the fires of AD 70 in Jerusalem. He wanted everyone to escape. And if you study that out, you find out that everyone that believed Jesus got out of the city and fled to a place called Pella before the city was, was burnt to the ground. And so none of them died. He didn't want anyone to perish. He did everything he could. Remember in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He didn't say, O cosmos, cosmos. O Gentiles, Gentiles. O everybody. He said, O Jewish people. How oft I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen doth gather her chicks. But you would not. I sent you prophets. You killed them. I sent you men of God. You stoned them. So you see their stubbornness. Even when Stephen preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 7, before, uh, and the gospel that, that everybody's included, not just Jewish people, and what Jesus' the cross and resurrection had done, it says that the Jewish leaders gnashed their teeth. So we can become so entangled in legalism and tradition that when an inclusive message is released, it makes us that mad. We're gnashing our teeth. So obviously there's more to this parable, but I just wanted to release that to you guys and get you to think differently about the parable that it's really d- describing the kingdom transition, the covenantal transition in uh, the time of Jesus's ministry, taking historical relevance covenant uh, into consideration, both of which are Bible hacks. So uh, those Bible hacks help us a lot as we read, rather than just reading into this story a heaven and hell paradigm that we've been programmed with since we were kids. God bless you guys.